Listen, we curse a lot. Be advised. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm from Oakland and I'm a queer black feminist scholar. This is Darren, hailing from the mean streets of Anaheim. I'm an introvert, a novelist, and a nerd. We're early 30-somethings with three kids and over a decade of marriage. This is a podcast about the realities of blackness and adult life. We do adult differently. This is That Black Couple. Greetings. I've been gone for a minute. Now I'm back with the jump off. So, are you saying this episode is the jump off? No, I guess not. I just feel like I want to say that because Lil' Kim said it a lot in the 90s and 2000s. And I've never had an opportunity to say it. And this is my opportunity to say it. So, I'm just going to keep saying it. Okay. So Take take your moment. I am going to take my moment, damn it. So, grab your kombucha. We're cleansing today. Yes. We're cleansing. We're trying to have nice skin. We're trying to have edges. We're trying to have like a healthy colon and digestive system. So get the kombucha. <laughs> Take a seat. This is that black couple. I'm Jen. And I'm Darren. And we're on episode eight. We're talking about Harvey Weinstein, which I don't want to talk about, but talk about Harvey Weinstein and gaslighting as culture. So just to be clear, we're talking more about gaslighting and sexual harassment and abuse, but Harvey Weinstein is really kind of representative of that right now. So we'll talk about him a little bit, not that much. But before we get started, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that BLK couple, on Facebook at that black couple, and look us up on the internet at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream episodes on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You have to rate us high, or we'll take it very, very, very personally. Very. On today's episode, we're talking about Harvey Weinstein and gaslighting as culture. In the First Things First segment, we'll discuss why it's important to be accountable for the people in our lives, especially when it pertains to sexual abuse and sexual harassment. Then, in the conversation, we'll dive into gaslighting, we'll define some terms, and illustrate how pervasive it is in our culture. And finally, in the reflection, we'll talk about sexual harassment in intimate environments like schools and the workplace, and why it's so important for men to be vocal about these issues. We've written a few articles at watercoolerconvos.com covering today's topics, and we'll cover some sources from around the web today too. We'll make sure to drop all those links in the show notes for you. Let's go. Let go. Okay. So, like you said, we're talking about Harvey. <laughs> you know, on a first name basis? We might as well. I mean, no. It's <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, whoever you say his name. I say Stein. Stein. I mean, that. But I'm black, though. It, it doesn't matter to me. Me either. Fuck yeah. Um, so, his name has been all through the news, up and down every day. More and more accusers coming forward, basically saying that he's been sexually harassing and abusing people right. for over 30 years. Right. The, the word that's been used to describe him is that it's pretty much been an open secret in Hollywood, meaning that people basically knew this was happening, 
and they just kind of let it happen. I, I, I've read some things where people said like they would warn people and warn actresses to say, oh, well, you know, that Harvey guy, he's known to do some terrible things. So be careful yeah. or, you know, if don't go, don't go to a hotel room with him because you never know what he might try and, you know, force upon you. You know, it's amazing that we can create terms like open secret for something like this. Right. But yes, uh huh. For 30, 30 years, over 30 years. Right. And this has been in the news for, for weeks at this point. And one of the people that came out and talked about, it, of course, was, you know, our president, Donald Trump, mm. who we know is an abuser in his own right. Mm. And so he's come out and basically said, like, oh, he's not shocked that, you know, liberal Hollywood is, is facing this. Girl, go and, away and sit down. And I think he had his press secretary come out and basically say, oh, all the people that are accusing him, you know, they just made it all up. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, it's on the Washington Post that literally everybody who's ever accused Donald Trump of anything is a liar. Yeah, those people, they're, they're just liars. Yes. Yeah, so don't yes. believe those people. Yes. But he's and, not shocked when someone else is doing it, though. And as tragic as this is, I mean, I, I don't want to make this make light of the situation at, at all for, for, some, for someone to be in the industry this powerful. I mean, he's been winning Oscars upon Oscars. But we have to Oscars. give more background, though, first, right? Because isn't the, isn't the larger story that people have been trying to break the news about Weinstein for a number of years, and every time they've taken it to several news outlets, it's basically been killed. And like every story, so Ronan Farrell finally got yeah. this out, but like there's been multiple reporters who have come forward, like on Twitter, to say, I sent this story to, you know, whatever publication, and they basically said, no, like we're not going to run this right. story. And to, to me, it's a, it's a story of power, right? Because like we said, it's been, it's an, it's an open secret. So people knew there have been a lot of people that have tried to tell a story. There are, there are a lot of people that have, that have been abused that have been subject to, to his abuse and tried to come forward and, and kind of get this to end. And from what I've read at every turn, news outlets basically said, well, we don't have enough. Right. We don't have enough to actually go forward with the story and put it out. Right. And I think it's because they know that the power behind this guy is massive. Right. And so, it, number one, if you're going to come out with a story, it has to be just completely locked tight. Right. Because if, if anything is wrong, if, if anything gets questioned and is, and, and is out of place, then the whole thing falls apart and right. you're going to get sued for an ungodly amount of money. Right. And, you know, who knows what could happen or, or even just the fact that then it then undermines the credibility of, of, whoever is coming forward, right? And so even thinking about the people that are victims that, are, that have been abused and, and also trying to protect them, in a way, his power is still kind of acting as a protecting force. Right. At the same time, when we're talking about this open, open secret, it's it's one of the things where people knew. So there there were other people that were complicit in this. I, I've We were talking about this earlier, and I... I've tried a couple times to read through the various articles yeah, I can't do it. that have kind of detailed people like people's accounts. I've only been able to get through maybe two or three accounts. Right. And I've read some summaries to basically say there were, you know, real, real general, like abusive, like known abuser behaviors. Like uh, there was a lot of honeypot things. There were, there were situations where he would invite people to a hotel and they would meet in the lobby 
and then he'd say, oh, well, now. Lure him up to his room. Right, and then lure him up to the room. And say, oh, let's come up to the room and let's go eat. Oh, right. I'm a celebrity and I'm a known guy, so I can't just be out in public. Right. So we have to meet in my room. And it's like, okay, well, let's go meet in your room. And I was like, okay, well, now we're in your room. And wait, now you're in the bed and you're asking me to give you a massage. And now your clothes are off. And now your clothes are coming off. And now. Right. And so on and so forth. Right. right? And in some cases, I also read where he would set up meetings where it would be him and a woman colleague and an actress. Mm. And then conveniently, they'd have the meeting for maybe five or ten minutes, and then the woman colleague would be dismissed. Mm-hmm. And then so on and so forth. Then then, then, the, then the abusive behavior begins. Right. right? And then I read Lupita Nyong'o's uh, account, and it seemed like these like really subtle ways that he just kind of like manipulate situations because he has that power and the way she was telling it which is basically like you know i was a young actress i was just coming out of college you know my first movies my first roles and here's this huge mega producer mega director and i'm not gonna basically argue with this guy i don't want to give him any pushback he invites me to his house of course i'm gonna go you know like i don't want to turn him down he invites me to a show of course i'm gonna go you know like it, it it just came off like there were a lot of ways that he absolutely knew that the intersections of his like whiteness maleness and and, and power and proximity to having like moneyed wealth gave him so much ability to manipulate not even just like the women themselves like in the situations but also to manipulate the consequences of the actions because even after he would you know harm these women he did so much damage control where he'd still say like oh you know oh call my secretary on monday and we'll get you hooked up with something or whatever and a lot of that stuff didn't pan out at all like, mm-hmm. it wouldn't actually even turn into a real opportunity. But it was still this process, like a whole system, a whole system, like, in place to basically cover up this guy's abuse and harassment of women yeah. over years. What, and, what, and that was one of the things I read that was, that was I think, the most disgusting thing to me about it was, um, I think one of the women said that, you know, he basically forced himself upon her. And then in the end, it was like right back to business like you said like oh call my assistant you know we'll get you set up we can, you can test for this role right like very much like almost acting like what happened didn't just happen right and i believe that the account i read like this he this abuse happened to her a couple times wow. with him where he would do that and then it'd be right back to normal like like this is just a normal operating way of business to where it basically is telling you that he was so used to this to behaving in this way and and feeling so safe and feeling right. so so warranted in this that he didn't he clearly didn't see anything wrong with it. He thought this was this is how we conduct business. This is right. This is normal and and probably felt legitimate. And then after after these accusations come out, you see like people like Ben Affleck and like Matt Damon or whatever, mm-hmm. which is actually like it's so irritating because then you also see people who are on Twitter like, well, Ben Affleck, you're also sexually abusive. You grab my ass at a Halloween party or you grab my ass at a Christmas party or whatever. And like, you're looking at this and, and that's why I really want to talk about this episode and say like, we're talking about Harvey Weinstein, but we're not really talking about Harvey Weinstein, right? We're talking about the entire ecosystem that allows for someone like Harvey Weinstein to exist and prosper and thrive 
for several decades as a yes. sexual abuser. It's the same ecosystem that operated to make a Roman Polanski still have fans who are in Hollywood who are asking for him to be able to come back. It's the same ecosystem that allows for Woody Allen to be still making movies and people still playing in his films, even though we know that he's married to someone who he parented. You know, like it's the same ecosystem that that birds a Bill Cosby and a R. Kelly. You know, so like it's not like it's not a Harvey Weinstein conversation. It's a conversation about the culture and the ecosystem. And I feel like people have been talking a lot about rape culture and we hear the term culture a lot. But we don't have a real analytical understanding of what culture is. Right. And I think I think what you're getting at is what I think is most important here, right? Is you know, Harvey Weinstein was the the big name that came out first. That was like bombshell. Oh my gosh, this has been happening for over thirty years. Big open secret. We oh my gosh, Hollywood is so bad. How did they how do they let this guy get away with it for so long? And what what I've noticed hasn't gotten as much coverage is in the wake of these allegations coming forward, I think what's happened is a lot of people kind of, kind of, it's kind of emboldened them and gave them some courage to actually come forward and come with other allegations to other people that have been doing right. the basically same exact, exact thing. Exact thing, if not worse, yeah. And I mean, just a couple of names. There's a big one. There's a Hollywood agent. His name is, is Tyler Grasham. He's a really, really big agent in Hollywood. Two men have come forward with allegations basically saying that he was, he was sexually harassing and abusing them. Um, you have a, a big director, James Toback. I think last time I checked, the number of allegations that have come, a number of people and allegations that have come forward against him is upwards of 300 right now. Wow. NBC's Mark Halperin, a really big one. I mean, this guy's been working in, in news for a lot of years. He worked at ABC. He worked at NBC. Um, he was working on um, with, with HBO, I think, on a movie mm-hmm. based upon the most recent election. Huge sexual harassment allegations. He's been put on on leave at NBC. I mean, what? what the, and I, it's like I don't want to make light of the fact that that there's a lot of people here that we're, we're clearly seeing that have been subjected to the worst type of abuse, been put in these really compromising positions, and based upon people's power within the industry, basically been to, to been subjected to all types of horrific treatment and abuse, and who knows, you know what type of effect it has on them in the long term. But I, I think that is one of the, I guess, I guess a good thing that ha- that has come out of this is people are starting to kind of open up their eyes and become aware of the fact that this isn't just one guy. Right. It's not this one, one guy that was like, Oh, he was the one oddball, the the one bad egg in the bunch that was getting away with it for so long and now right. we caught him so now we got it all fixed right like like we're saying and like you were saying this is a culture this is something that's ingrained right this is not a one-off thing this is not a one guy this is not a five guy thing this is a lot of guys this is a lot of people this is right. ingrained in the culture of hollywood of of exerting power over other people in the worst ways right and i think that when we see cultural phenomenon like you know, boys will be boys or, you know, the, you know, grab them by the pussy recording. Right. Or the fact, I mean, if you think about the whole grab them by the pussy thing, the fact that that happened and nobody was up in arms when that was recorded. They were up in arms when it was released and not that much. I mean, he still won the election. Right. Um, but I mean, or like thinking about Momoa sitting on the stage and making jokes about, you know, and, you know, we all love Momoa because, you know, he's fine, I guess, but... You know, his 
his credentials are kind of docked now because he sits on the stage, you know, in a recent clip I saw on Twitter and is saying that he loved being on Game of Thrones because he got to rape beautiful women, you know, like that. And everyone in the audience is like laughing, the uproarious laughter when Jason Momoa says, I got to rape beautiful women. And that's why I like being on the show. Yeah, I mean, what does that say? What does that say? And, 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 you know, it's one of those things where like, you have to start asking questions about like, what are the subtle ways that every single day that we are exposed to and conditioned by, you know, this idea of a culture of rape, a culture of sexual assault, a culture of sexual harassment, a culture that tells us that some people's bodies do not belong to them. They belong to, you know, men or patriarchy or power and that those people in power can do with those bodies as they wish. And that's really what this Weinstein and this Ray Allen, you know, situation tells us. It tells us that there are certain people who, because of their proximity to power or their ownership of certain wealth, that can basically do as they wish. And that's what we have to start thinking about and how we can challenge that and how we can like call that out for what it is and have clear definitions and clear language for what that phenomenon is so that we can start to figure out ways to combat it and reduce right. the harm that's done to, you know, usually for the most part overrepresented is women, but obviously these types of abuses happen to all types of people, right? Yeah. So this is not a, a binary gender situation. It's not like it only happens to to like cis hetero women or something like that. Not at all. Yeah, not at all. Um, it's obviously a phenomenon that happens to women, femmes, trans folks, non-gender conforming folks. You know, it happens to folks all on the binary and uh, also cis hetero men as well. Yeah, who who is the actor? Uh, Terry Crews came out. Right. And said the same thing. He was like, I was I was in a, uh, in a room with in Hollywood with, with right. a, a white guy and he just he, he grabbed just grabbed my genitals. Right. And was put in that position and basically said, if I took any action against him. It had been that angry black guy was beating up on this little white guy. Right. Absolutely. And that, and that is also a form of power. And people yeah. keep thinking like that power only comes in like physical size or physical, like, you know, physique or whatever. Terry Crews is seen as this kind of like, like chiseled physical embodiment of manliness or whatever. But even he was silenced and even he was like kind of relegated to the shadows when it comes to this kind of sexual assault that happened to him because of his proximity to his distance from whiteness and his distance from that power. And it's like, we have to stop thinking about, you know, sexual assault and sexual harassment as a being a woman's issue. We have to stop doing that. First of all, B, we have to stop thinking about it as somehow having something to do with physical bodies and like attraction and looks and things like that. Like I'm really tired of this idea that it's like, like Mia Bialik had this article, I know, her article that was basically like, I'm not that cute and I have a big nose, or no, she called it, I'm sorry, a prominent nose and I I dress modestly and somehow like I couldn't tell what she was trying to say exactly, but it just read like... Well, if you just wear frumpy clothes and aren't traditionally beautiful in air quotes, then maybe you won't be sexually assaulted by people like Harvey Weinstein. You know, like we have to stop that shit. Like we have to debunk that shit. That's fucking bullshit. Like it has nothing to do with physical embodiment. That's not what sexual assault is about. 
Anybody can be sexually assaulted. Anybody can be raped. And all bodies are sexually assaulted and all bodies are raped. It happens all the fucking time. And so I really want to like push past the narrative because I feel like this Harvey Weinstein thing has also like highlighted the ways that we still can't like really grapple with the fact that these these issues are about power. When Lupita yeah. Nyong'o came out with her account, there were a lot of people who really were like not really checking for it because she's a darker skinned black woman. And I think that that kind of challenged their idea of like Weinstein's ideas of what he was trying to like, who he wanted to sexually assault. And then even he came out and had some feedback like, oh, that wasn't what I, that was consensual. Right. I'm like, wait, so all these women are coming out and saying that you did all this stuff. And the one person who you're like, well, wait, <clears throat> is Lupita Nyong'o? Like, we got to talk about and that. And to be honest, like I said, I've read some of these accounts. Her account was tame compared to a lot of these other tame. accounts. It was super tame. It was super Like, super she was tame. put in some really compromising positions and basically declined and had to, like, run. Like, a lot of these other women were had, like, forced bodily contact. Right. It was forced viewing of, of him pleasuring right. himself. I mean, just, just d- nasty, despicable acts that people were forced into. Right. And he was, I mean, he's not saying anything about those. Oh, of course not. Of course not. Of course not. And so I just really, I think we need to really grapple with like this, what the culture is, because the the culture is trying to say several things. The culture is trying to tell us that only certain types of bodies can be raped or sexual assaulted or sexually harassed, which is, we all know is not true. The culture is, is trying to tell us that rape, sexual harassment and sexual assault is about desirability, which we also know is not true. And the culture also wants us to believe that somehow like, when it comes to like white, cis, heterosexual men with money, that somehow we still need to just give them the benefit of the doubt. Like we need to just give them more chances. Let's just listen to Ben Affleck. Just listen yeah. to Matt Damon. Just listen to me and Bialik. Just there's all these ways. I mean, Sonny Anderson even went on Twitter like, oh, yeah, you know, she went on Twitter like, oh, you know, just just say no, girl. Listen, I was raised in a way where you... We have to stop this cultural phenomenon where people think that sexual assault and harassment and rape is really about like how the victim or survivor navigates the system of sexual harassment, assault, and rape. That's really not how this whole process works. It's just not how this process works. And when we start to really be honest with ourselves about what this culture is and what this culture is not, then we might actually have a smidgen of a chance mm-hmm. of doing something about it. Thank you for listening. We are the proud founders of watercoolerconvos.com, a platform at the intersections of blackness, culture, and adulting. We started that black couple to dive deeper into the issues facing young black millennial folks navigating the anti-black, anti-queer, white supremacist world today. This podcast is supported by donations and patronage of our listeners and readers of our blog. You should head over there and check out some of the content when you get a chance. If you would like to become a monthly subscriber or patron and help fund our content, sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash watercoolerconvos. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Please consider giving $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. We really want to hire new writers and social media people, y'all, but we can't do that without your help. 
You can also give a one-time donation at www.paypal.me forward slash watercoolerconvos. All donations are welcome. You can stream the show on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing an episode, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope-ass comments. This helps us with our page views and also gives us more listeners for the show. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the show. Okay, so we're back, and it's time for the conversation. Yep. So what I really want to talk about is I want to talk about this idea of culture. I feel like a lot of people say rape culture, slip shaming, body shaming, you know, all these terms, and, like, they've gotten really common and really popular, but we don't get a lot of description of what they actually are. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like a lot of people use the words, and I'm not sure they actually understand what they mean. I don't think so. So, I, I mean, first of all, when I think about culture, at a base, like a basic sense, this is like some Pierre Bourdieu type stuff, right? So, so Pierre Bourdieu is a theorist, <laughs> theorist, sociologist, um, philosopher who's talked a lot about how we come to learn about who we are, basically. And he has this thing called the habitus. And the habitus is basically like how we learn social norms and social being. And I would think that the kind of Bordeaux's way of saying what culture is, is that it's a set of logics and a set of practices and norms that tell us how to interact with one another and how to behave in society. So there's like acceptable ways that we learn how to behave. Like it's social conditioning. Okay. So a lot of thinkers have talked about culture and the habitus. And the habitus is interesting because it's like, it just means like habits. Like, what are our habits? Like, we wake up in the morning, we brush our teeth, we watch certain television shows. You know, American culture tells us that we're supposed to eat certain things on certain holidays or whatever, right? So those are, like, those are our kind of cultural norms and logics. So if we think about the term rape culture, then I think that that helps, like, if we think about culture in those terms, it helps us understand what rape culture means. So we should start thinking about the ways that rape shows up, rape, sexual assault, sexual harassment, turns up in our everyday lives. Like, what are the logics, the habits, the norms, the practices, where we basically are socialized to live with and around and in proximity to language or behaviors that promote and substantiate rape, sexual assault, and harassment of people, usually people who are seen as femme or as who are read as women, right? That's kind of the culture, right? Okay. And so for me, it's like when I hear rape culture, I'm thinking like the fact that if you watch most movies, like this is why I don't watch a lot of mainstream movies. They joke about rape a lot. Like they joke about rape a lot. So like, I won't call any out by name, but like you watch a lot of movies where there's like a predominantly like a white male lead or like the, you know, the white blonde love interest who probably has like a small waist and large bust line. And at least two or three times in the movie, you'll hear something like some type of joke about like a date rape drug or something along the lines of like a you know, something sexual assault adjacent, you mm. know, something where the person's either like touching their body jokingly, or there's always that scene where they land on top of each other and his hands are both grabbing both breasts or, you know, like that is 
that is sexual assault, right? Yeah. If I am standing somewhere and your hands are both grabbing both of my breasts, you are sexually assaulting me. That's what that is. You are grabbing my body without my permission. And it's not a cute, funny joke. But if you think about that and you start thinking about the times you've seen that joke, in air quotes, in a movie, it happens all the fucking time. All the time. There's almost always some joke where like there's a camel toe or something and we have to laugh at that. Or somebody ends up in a sexual position where the guy's on top of her and that's supposed to be sexy and romantic or whatever. That's not romantic. It's not romantic. In real life, like folks do not want you in their crotch and in their genitals. In real life, folks do not actually want you grabbing parts of their body without permission. It's not actually funny. You know, like the, oh my gosh, I accidentally hit you on the ass joke. That's not a joke. It's not funny, right? And I feel like when we think about movies and TV shows that shows up, we think about music. Some of our biggest songs, our biggest songs, like this was one of the things that we hated about like, what was that, circa 2013? That's when, th- you know, Robin Thicke was big on the radio. Yeah. Blurred Lines, a whole song that's basically about date rape. Yep. And little kids were singing about these Blurred Lines, an entire song that's basically like, you're too drunk or high to consent But isn't it interesting how that is so funny and cool? Let's just do some sexual shit anyway. No. That is, no. It's not cute. It's not cute. But that's, to me, that's one of those cultural logics. That's that's what is meant by rape culture. Rape culture is this like norm and this logic that we can make a funny hee-hee-hee, cutesy-cutesy-cutesy song that ends up being played everywhere. We have him performing on the MTV Music Awards and stuff. You know, he's like on the Billboard Top 100 singing about the blurred lines between consent and non-consent. Yeah, saying, I know you want it. Right. I I know, even though you can't consent because you're not sober. Right? That's against the law. That's, That's rape. Right? That is what people mean when they say rape culture. And I feel like a lot of times we don't really... We don't really have a thorough conversation about what rape culture is because, first of all, people don't want to talk about it and they don't like terms. <laughs> like people, people don't like terms because I feel like they feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be in trouble because it's probably talking about me. This is probably something that I actively do, right? Because another part of, another part of rape culture is gaslighting, mm-hmm. right? And people don't like talking about gaslighting, but gaslighting, gaslighting is one of those things where basically, the you know loose definition is basically where you try and convince someone that their reality is not real, right? People do this all the time to survivors and victims of sexual assault, right? What were you wearing? Were you drinking? Why'd you go out at that time of night, right? That's all gaslighting. This idea that if you exist in public after a certain time of day, then rape just happens. Sexual assault just happens. Sexual harassment just happens. Yeah, the the whole the whole idea of you were asking for it. You were asking for it. You were asking for it. You were advertising in a certain way. Right. Because your body is an advertisement if you're outside and femme or women. Right. Exactly. The the other thing I want to get at too is that there are a lot of ways that gaslighting happens and rape culture happens, but it's very subtle. 
And I think that we pay a lot of attention to the larger, more fantastical, spectacular embodiments, but not so much to the the daily, right? That's what I really want to focus on is like the daily logics, right? What I've gotten a lot when I call out like sexism or sexual harassment or sexual abuse, things like, are you sure you saw what you think you saw? Or maybe you're just being too sensitive or maybe you're taking it personally, mm-hmm. right? Because somehow, somehow like me taking something personally makes the thing not a thing, right? Because I should be more objective about someone touching my body. Or I should be more objective about somebody repeatedly asking me for my phone number in a professional workplace and I not want to give it to them, right? Like the idea that that sexual harassment or sexual assault can somehow be conditioned by how personally you take it, right? And that's that's gaslighting. Yeah. Or maybe it's because you're a survivor. This is this is a very oh common my one. Gosh. Yeah. This is a very common one. Maybe it's because you're a victim or survivor of sexual assault. So you're seeing something that's just not there. You just want to see it because that's how that works. <laughs> right? I feel like that one's like like a leveled up version of gaslighting. Right. It's it's so problematic. But it, 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 so on, on the one hand, it's like it's one of those things where the clock is right twice a day. Right? Because on the one hand, it's like, well, I am a victim and survivor, so I can see it. Probably better than you if you're not, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually have the tools probably to see it a little bit better than you because I've experienced it. So I have like, you know, expertise in an area that you don't. And whether I like having those expertise or not, or whether I'm excited about that or not, has has nothing to do with the situation. But as somebody who has experienced it, yes, absolutely, I can recognize it. However, the idea that somebody who's a victim or survivor of sexual assault or harassment or abuse or rape wants to continue to see that right yeah and that's and that's a very common idea the idea that like people who who deal with these types of exploitations and oppression or other forms of abuse and assault whatever like dealing with that like they just like being a victim and you hear this all the time oh you just pull on the victim card or whatever and it's like no that's not a fun card to pull like i love the like unicorn card i love the black girl magic card i love the like i got an extra appetizer at the restaurant card most people are not pulling a victim card right it's like that's really not a common thing that's actually made up by people who wants to continue to harm victims and survivors of sexual assault, right? Or maybe you just have a personal problem with them. Or this is one of my favorites in a bad way. But you're the only person who feels that way. So it's probably not real. That's like like a gaslight superpower. Superpower. But you're the only person. No one in the whole world. Because especially if everyone else is silenced, how can you disprove that? Right, you can't actually disprove that. If everyone else is being is systematically being silenced by this person, how can you ever disprove that you're the only person? You can't. There's no there's no way to 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 prove otherwise. Or you really don't know them that well. You're making really big assertions. Or maybe you should just give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And I feel like these are the ways that like we learn very early on that some people get more chances. You know, even yes. when even when what they do is particularly heinous. And that happened right after this whole Weinstein thing happened, too. It was like, oh, well, you know, but he's he's every Weinstein. He's just done all this great work. You know, oh, but oh, but he's done such great stuff. R. Kelly. 
but he makes such great music. Oh, but he's such an artist. He's so talented. Roman Polanski. He's an artist, but we need him. We need his work. As if there are not 700 million other talented folks out here who can make movies and make music and make art without abusing people. Yeah, like, like, oh my gosh, we're going to not have any more movies or any more music. Yeah. Or, or even or even if, if that was the cost, if the cost was we won't have any more mo- movies or any more music, that, oh, well, it's okay. Right. It's okay for them to continue doing right. that. Because I want some movies. Listen, fuck the movies and that music. If we're out here abusing people, like we're out here abusing people and harming people, and you're like, well, I really need this new CD. I'm sorry, yeah. wait, we don't have CDs because I'm loyal. I really need this new album. Right? Like that 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 to me, this is what it gets down to, like these daily kind of these daily logics, these daily practices. These are practices. Yeah. Like when we tell ourselves that our listening pleasure is more important than women's lives. When we tell ourselves that being able to go sit in a movie theater and watch something is more important than people being abused and assaulted. Like that, that to me is a cultural logic. And that is a way that these abusers are enabled and are, are basically told that the system will always be gamed in their favor. Yeah. And I think what's, what's interesting is, is we're talking about this as culture. And I think that's what's really important and to center here is when you think about culture, we're all living, you know, quote unquote, under the same culture. And I think people tend to want to go along with whatever culture says. So if culture says it's okay to do this, then, oh, well, let's do that. Or right. So if culture says, yeah, let's, you know, R. Kelly, he makes great music and we're all going to listen to it, then, okay, let's listen to it and, and let's disregard right. you know, all that abusive behavior that we know is going on. Right. And that's why I know you, you wrote a piece about R. Kelly where you said, you know, just, you know, just to remind everyone, right? You can't listen to R. Kelly music and love black women at the same time. It's impossible. Like you can't, you can't, you can't, di- you can't divorce no. the artist from from what he's actually doing in his life. It's not right. like those are two separate people. Right. It's not like we can put you know the offender in jail and have the artist still be free. Right. In, 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 in the in the record studio. Right. Like, right. That's that's not how this works. No, and it's I, not. But I think that's that's what happens with culture. Is it's like oh well you know he's. R. Kelly is built into the culture or, you know, Harvey Weinstein, you know, he's, he's, he's making all these, you know, Oscar worthy films. I mean, he's a star maker. He's, he's a hit maker. I mean, he's, he's part of, of our cultural landscape. You know, let's, we'll let him slide or, you know, we'll let him go through or we, we know that he has this abusive behavior, but, you know, the ends justify the means because we make, everyone makes a lot of money in the end and, and the movies are great and wonderful and everyone's going to go see them and lives has been changed or it's, it's when, it's when these people kind of get built into the cultural fl- framework. Right. That we start to kind of give them passes and we right. start to say, Oh, well, it's okay. Oh, or like you said, certain people get extra passes. They, they can, they can do more wrong. Right. And, and we still say, well, but they did do that one thing. So. It's okay this time. Oh, we can let this other thing slide because, you know, that movie was my favorite. And it's going to always hold a special place in my heart. Right. And then what does it also say about how little we value women and femmes, right? Like, to me, that's what comes out of this. That's the larger story that comes out of this, which is we really are willing to let women and femmes just die out here for the shit that we like and want. You know, it's literally like, okay, 
we really like our movies or we really like our culture or our TV shows or our listening pleasure or our viewing pleasure or our cars or our whatever, whatever our consumer goods are. And if it's women and femmes out here dying, if it's black people out here dying, if it's poor people out here dying, if it's disabled people out here dying, you know, if it's people out here getting assaulted and, you know, and, and let's be clear here. When I say dying, I'm talking about slow death, right? I'm talking about the ways that and I always, I, I maintain this. I maintain that there are certain ways that specifically people of color, specifically black people in the United States, we die at particular rates and we die in particular ways that are state-based and state-sanctioned and sexual assault, sexual violence, sexual harassment, these types of like ongoing abuses that are experienced daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, annually contribute to all types of hypertension, all types of other diseases, all types of other stresses and indicators that cause all types of other bodily stressors that to me contribute to a short, a slow death, right? And so when I say dying, I'm talking about the entire process of, of being born into the U.S. and the whole necropolitics of being black. That's the politics of being born as a black person in a system that is systematically set up to, to annihilate you for being black, right? So when I say dying, I'm talking about the process of like being in a system that is gamed for your annihilation. And that, that, that is, I think, is really one of the most interesting points, right? Is this system and this culture is not set up for us to win. No, it's not. It's not set up for our benefit. Yet, far too often, we just go along with it anyway. Right. What we really should be doing is we should be pushing back against the culture. We should be thinking critically about the things that we consume and the people that we, that we exalt and say are great and, and what we see as cultural touchstones and is important and say, is that really what I should be exemplifying and, and being, being, is that really what I should be following? Is, right. is, is this culture really something that serves me? Is it something that serves the people that I love? Does it serve my people? Does, does it serve the people that are marginalized in this world or does it not? And far too often it does not. And we're not pushing against it. And if we were pushing against it, some of these situations I think would, would not be occurring. We would be, I, I often I think about, about really myself as a father, as a man, as a father, raising children. Um, I know for us, a lot of times we'd really try to expose our kids to what some people would call adult subjects. Right. One of them really being consent and having them really understand from an early age what consent is and how people's bodies are their bodies. Right. You don't have the ability or the freedom to just infiltrate on someone's body for whatever reason. Right. You need to seek consent whenever you're, you're kind of going into someone's own personal space and personal bubble. Right. And I feel like if we, as we, as a, if we as a people did more of that, of raising people and teaching them these concepts from an early age, we could be pushing it against these, these, um, insidious cultures that exist in our world right now. I agree. And I think it's about raising, I think it's raising whole people and like teaching about things like like consent. But I think it's also about being realistic with like A, ourselves, like being honest with ourselves and saying like, this culture ain't for us. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of folks like want to hold on to this shit like it's made for us and it's just simply not. They want to let, or they want to latch onto a piece that does serve them. Right. It's like you trying to assimilate or you trying to embody or you trying to like emulate or whatever. And it's like legit. It's really not made for us. And you're never really going to fit. You're never going to find your place in there. So, I mean, 
you trying and that's cute, I guess, but no. I mean, I think that's my concern. It's like, why are we so attached to a culture that's legit trying to kill us? Yeah. You know? And why are we attached to a culture that's trying to tell us that the reality that we see before our very eyes is not real? That the stuff that we're experiencing is not actually happening before our very eyes. Like we can see it, touch it, taste it, it's tangible. We hear it, we live it, and breathe it every single day. And we live in a culture that's like, nope, nope, that's not real. Nope, mm -mm, nope, nope, you didn't see that. Nope, Harvey Weinstein, great guy, never heard of it. Nope, nope, hasn't assaulted anyone. Nope, give him a chance. Nope. What, girl? No. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 what's behind the whole concept of, of, of being woke. Right. It's like, wake up. Wake up. Open your eyes, girl. <laughs> Neo, you want to be Neo. You don't want to be up in that egg no more. You better, you better choose the this right thing. This is field. the Matrix. Get out the Matrix. <laughs> right? And so I think to some degree, like, you know, we really have to grapple, especially as like, you know, young black folk, we have to grapple with like how much of this culture we are really willing to invest ourselves in. Right? And then, and then like on the other side of that is like, yes, absolutely. We have to like raise people who can be honest and clear about like these terms but in the meantime you know when we're not raising other people we have to also like challenge ourselves and those folks around us to be honest and clear about what we're willing to take and what we're not willing to take and for me I'm not willing to let somebody gaslight me like I've had people try and gaslight me and I'm like you're really not gonna dislodge me from my truth like there's, I mean, maybe in my early twenties when I was younger, I had a really hard time and I would be like, yo, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not right. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm not seeing this correctly, but it, I got to a point where I was like, fuck that. I, my eyes work just fine. I mean, I'm, they don't work that well, but when I have my glasses on <laughs> or my contacts in, they work really well, you know, and I know what's happening to my body. I know, I know what has happened in my life. I know me better than anybody else knows me. I know my experiences better than anybody else knows my experiences. Why would I why would I cede my experiences and my life and my embodiments to someone else to tell me how to interpret them? Right? Yeah. Like why would I let somebody else be the interpreter of my journey? Well, I, th I think what's hard about it is is especially when you have huge numbers, right? Right. I think that's where gaslighting becomes so dangerous, right? When you have one person who's like, "Are you sure?" and then they amass a group of people around them that right that back them up and say, "Yeah, I agree with them. I think it's you." Right. I think you have a personal problem. Right. I think you just have something that you need to deal with within yourself and you're just taking it out on 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 this person who's innocent. Right. And then and then when those numbers start to mount and and they're all contradicting something that you know to be true within yourself from your own experiences. It makes you question, wait, is, is my own experience right? Right. Am, am I perceiving it wrong? Did, did I not experience it the way that I, right. I experienced it? Right. It, it? It's, it's like you have to start questioning your own sanity when, when you have all these people questioning you. Right. And I think that's, that's where gaslighting becomes so, so dangerous because, it's very dangerous. because you're questioning, like, like you said, you're questioning things that you are certain and know to be true. Right. And it kind of rocks, I think it rocks someone to their core. It does. And it's very dangerous. It's absolutely dangerous. And this is why a lot of folks who survive, you know, sexual assault have a lot of long term issues with, you know, 
other forms of mental illness. That's why it causes all types of PTSD and anxiety and depression and a host of other issues because a lot of that is a matter of putting yourself back together from an experience that, you know, rocks you to your core, but then also having to like deal with the, the, the consequences and the ripple effects of something that you didn't even cause, right? Something that wasn't even like you didn't even do it. And then people expect you to somehow be responsible for what happened. Mm-hmm. And and that's been my experience where it's like, you know, you experience sexual assault or sexual violence and harassment or whatever it may be. And after that happens, it's like, okay, now I got to figure out how to navigate this shit, right? Now I have to figure out how to navigate this and dealing with the way that people try to project shit onto you. You know, they try to predict this lasciviousness or like, oh, you weren't wearing the right things or whatever. And, you know, you were too sexually available like that somehow has something to do with it. Or, you know, they try to project onto you like, oh, well, maybe you just you just are regretting something that you actually wanted or whatever, you know. And like there's all these ways that you have to kind of like be very resolute in who you are. It takes a lot of yeah. work to kind of build up that like resoluteness. And it's not easy. It's really not easy. So I don't want to make it seem like, you know, for these women who are coming out in terms of um, Harvey Weinstein or any of the other uh, folks who are coming out in response to anyone else that we've mentioned, like somehow that they are, you know, to blame or like somehow that they didn't come out fast enough or that because they were being gaslighted that they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't have their, uh, they didn't, like they weren't responsible or something like that. What I'm suggesting is that for everyone else right for everyone else who's witnessing this right for all the people who are part of that whole open secret society right for all those people who kind of normalize this stuff for all those people who read the articles on new york times and the new yorker and washington post and nbc and cbs and all this stuff and who are seeing all this information and watching it on the news and who are thinking things like i just said oh well maybe they need to just stop wearing those clothes or maybe they need to stop going to the person. Why were they in the, Why were they in his room? Or maybe they should just, you know, not be out in Hollywood dressing like that. Or maybe they should just try and get a different job. Or maybe those are the people I'm concerned about, right? I'm concerned about the cultures and the logics and the practices that we kind of all participate in, right? There's a certain complicity that we all kind of have a, a, a certain amount of responsibility for. And that's where I'm like, yo, at some point we have to be we have to be honest about how I think we've all probably done this, right? Even the wokest, most wokest of all the wokest have done this, where we've asked those questions because we're all we're all acculturated in the same society. We're all yeah. socialized in the same environments. We're all socialized into white heteropatriarchy. We're all socialized into anti-blackness. We're all socialized into the same shit. And so, you know, I'm sure we've all asked these questions. And we should be we should be challenging that. Like we should be challenging that and not asking questions as to why a victim or survivor did A, B, C, or D or anything through Z. Right? We should be asking why we sit on down on the sidelines and we're still willing to consume products from people who we know are harming people. Right? Whether that be sexually harming people, monetarily, or other forms of harm. You know, why we're sitting here watching folks who are like venture capitalists and like, you know, neoliberalists who are using their economic wealth to screw over the poor. Yeah. You know, like there are a lot of questions that we should be asking. And I feel like when we start talking about culture and gaslighting and the stories about um, 
Weinstein, which I can't even actually read them all because they're just so disgusting. We should be asking ourselves how much of this stuff we're invested in and how much we've just been sitting by watching and thought was basically okay because that's just what we do here. That's just part of the culture. Like what you hear? You can find my mom and dad, a.k.a. That Black Couple, on the web at thatblackcouple.com. You can find them on Facebook at That Black Couple, and you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at That BLK Couple. If you have questions or comments about the show, email them at thatblkcouple at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. All right, so now it's time for the reflection. Let's do it. I know now we're going to get a little personal. Mm-hmm. And so just thinking about rape culture and and kind of how that has personally affected me and shown up in my life, I, I honestly, I would just think about growing up and, and how those things in culture kind of become part of your life, how those things are taught to you in, in as you noted, like really subtle ways. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up, I had a circle of friends that was basically all boys and we, you know, did quote unquote boy things. We did a lot of sports. A lot of, there was a lot of talk about girls that people liked and there was a lot of pressure of, Oh, you know, go, let's go touch so-and-so's butt or let's, you know, grab them or let's tackle somebody or, you know, all, t- all types of, of stuff that at the time seemed just silly yeah, and in in as an adult, I've heard other people kind of just characterize as, oh, that's just you know kid stuff. They're just joking, or they're just you know being playful, or you know that's boys being boys or whatever. But you know, in my more mature self now, really, really just realizing what that stuff is, and it's it's essentializing and making light of, <laughs> kind of throwing consent out of the window, right, and just kind of actually objectifying people and their bodies and, and taking their own humanity out of it and, you know, turning them into objects. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, as we're talking about this, about this subject, about, about rape culture and, 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 you know, people like Harvey Weinstein, we're, we're talking about adults. And I always kind of think like, how did we, like, how did people get here? Yeah. You know, how did, and, and to, to a certain point we, we talked about power and how, Power kind of emboldens people and gives them the space and the ability to do things that they might not otherwise do. Right. But it kind of gives them almost like a, a feeling of safety and security and ability to kind of do things that, that might be outside of the quote unquote norm. Right. And, but, but I even think about, as I said, kind of even as a child, I felt like those same dynamics were there. Yeah. I felt like, some people felt like they had power. Some people, it was, it was just on a smaller scale, like, oh, well, I have a lot of friends or I'm really, really popular or I can say something bad about you and I can shame you and, and everyone will believe me. Right. Or, and I feel like, I just feel like those same power dynamics are, are present from childhood all the way into adulthood. And, and we, and we see the same things as kids, as we see as teenagers, as we see as young adults, and as we get older and, and grow older. And it's, it's the same things happening. Right. And as we've noted before, what we have to really do is, is push back against it. I mean, even as a, as a kid, some of those things happen or, or people said, you should go do this or you should go say this or you should go, you know, 
I think I was on like a camping trip or something and someone was like, you should go with her in that tent and you should, you guys should, you know, do, you know, just like I said, what people would call like silly kid stuff people would call that. Right. And when knowing that's actually not what it is. Right. And I'm just, I'm just thinking about how (laughs) it's amazing to me how that stuff is present even, even as a child and how I knew it was wrong then. Right. Like it felt wrong. Yeah. Even if we've talked a lot about how we've grown up and we've learned and we've kind of put language to things, even as a kid, when you don't necessarily have the language for certain things, you know that some things are wrong. Right. And I think we have to be able to have the courage to say, just because somebody else said so, or, or culturally, I get the message that this is how things are supposed to go. That if I feel within myself that it's wrong, that I then don't do it. Right. And if I see my friend doing something that I know within my spirit is wrong, I should be able to go to my friend and say, hey, I don't think that's cool for reasons A, B, C, D, and E. Right. I feel like there should also be some accountability there for for our friends and for our loved ones to kind of help them and show them the, the way of this is right and this is wrong. Right. To also kind of, I think, I think sometimes there's also when we're talking about culture, there's, there's that kind of a group thing, thing of, well, culture says, so I'm going to do this. But if you hear one person say, well, I know culture is saying this, but I think that's wrong. Right. And if inside of themselves, they already felt like it was wrong, but they were just going along because they felt like that's what you're supposed to do. They're now getting a message of someone else saying, no, I think that's wrong too. Right. Which kind of helps them to feel like, okay, wait, so, me thinking it was wrong wasn't something that was off. I'm not just having having a thought that's not in line with other people. Other people are having the same thoughts as me. And that, I think that helps people to feel more secure in following their own path and following what their own moral compass says is right or wrong. Right. I mean, I also think that it's important for people who are like in power or who have more power to do that work with other people who are in power or have more power. Yes. Like, I think that part of the issue is that a lot of people who are, like, disprivileged in certain ways end up being the people who have to stand up and say something. And that's why the gaslighting and the rape culture and the processes of sexual assault and sexual harassment and the systems that work to, to support abusers and harassers work so well, right? That's why they're so effective. Because the people who speak out are the people who have been harmed and the people who are not harmed are basically in partnership and friendship and loving relationships with people who are abusing and harming. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, I think that to your point for like young men in particular, since young men are overrepresented in terms of abusive relationships and in causing abuse and harm. Um, men are overrepresented and usually it's cis heterosexual men who are overrepresented in that respect. And I think that in the case of what we've brought up today, we've focused on a lot of white cis heterosexual men who are also very, very wealthy. And I think that the fact that when this news came out, that it was white cis heterosexual wealthy men who were like, no, they're fine. That's the problem. Right. That's the problem because had Ben Affleck or Matt Damon come out and be like, yo, that's true. I really do think that that would have made a, a, a difference. It's a shame. It's fucked up that that would have made a difference. That shouldn't be the case. 
right? But it would have, right? And it's the process of, and you know, you think about like, like the Combahee River Collective, right? And this idea that black women are all we got. Like black women will always advocate for black women. And black women have always been like the the most fervent activists in securing rights and protections for black women. But that's all about a proximity to power. It goes back to this idea, like, you know, Kimberly Crenshaw's original work about the distance that, that certain social groups have from positions of power. And when you think about like cis and trans black women, very, very far from white heteropatriarchal norms of power, right? And so in a lot of respects, it makes sense that, you know, white, cis, heterosexual, wealthy men saying something about sexual assault, sexual abuse would actually make a really big difference in terms of helping to disrupt it. Right. And I also think that like that goes for, you know, cis heterosexual black men who are watching their friends catcall, yep. who are watching their friends and encouraging their friends to, you know, shirk consent. I remember, you know, in high school, in elementary, junior high school, guys, you know, touching my body. That was one of the earliest ways I learned that that's how that boy likes you in air quotes, you mm-hmm. know? He just touched your breast. It's like, well, that's not cool. I don't want anyone touching my breast. Or he just touched your butt without your permission. Yay, he likes you. Congrats. And I'm like, no, first of all, fuck that. Like, no, I don't like him, first of all. Second of all, I don't even know that I like boys. <laughs> and third of all, whether you like me or I like you or not, don't fucking touch me, right? But that, but the, this idea that you liking me is is enough to give you permission and access to my body, right? And I remember in high school, like boys would have girls stand up in front of the room and they would read our bodies. They would like read our butts. Oh, your butts a seven. Your butts a ten. Your butts a nine. Your butts are this. Oh, your breasts. Your breasts are a six. Your breasts are this. And like that was like a pretty normal thing. Like that, I've seen that happen multiple times. We had things like, at like a, we had a, a list that would show up in our bathroom every yeah. few months. We had the list too. We had lists and they would just show up in our bathrooms. Just random that boys would write lists about, you know, who gave the best head, who was the best in bed, who was the prettiest, who they all wanted to fuck, who, you know, and they, they would write these lists and just put them in the bathrooms. And they would be like, oh, did you see this new good head list? And I'm just like, what is going on? What is this? Right? And that and I remember I remember in high school thinking, like you said, this is not right. This yep. is not cool. But just imagine if like one of the boys, one of the popular boys had been like, yo, stop this shit. It's just, it's just corny. It's just whack. Right? I feel like that's one of those things where you that we have to start talking about like the ways that we also buy into a lot of shit that harms us, right? And it harms our loved ones. And that ends up like working against us as a group and that's what i'm most concerned about i'm really concerned about the ways that like we were conditioned in these environments like i was conditioned that that was how like dudes showed that they liked women like that's what i learned yeah that's what i learned was was the norm that those were the cultural norms those were the logics and the norms and the practices that i learned growing up and i wasn't really in this as heterosexual you know black dudes i wasn't really that wasn't really my my cup of tea you know, 
So for me, it was like, okay, I see, I, I see y'all. Okay, I got it, you know. But I think for a lot of a lot of cis heterosexual black women, that shit's rough, right? Because imagine being socialized into a system that tells you that to be with this group of people who you're attracted to, you have to allow them access and exposure to your body in ways where you don't even get to really have, you know, control over how that will be used. And, you know, like that, that's where I'm just like, what are we saying? You know, what are we really saying? When we start buying into these cultures and these behaviors, what are we really saying? And do we really, do we really mean to be saying that, you know? And I think that's, that's the challenge. If, if people would think critically about, about these things, and say, is that really what I want to be saying? I think that's where the change comes. Right. But too often, I think people are content in really not asking the question. Right. Thank y'all for listening. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that BLK couple, on Facebook at that black couple, and look us up on the internet at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream episodes on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And you have to rate us high because I'm a petty bitch and I hate when I get low ratings, even though I don't have none yet. All right. Love you. Bye.